everyone, you're listening to Let's Talk Trees, a podcast brought to you by C4 Ecraft with me, Anggi Cahyaning Dias. Today, we are going to discuss about circular bioeconomy or an economy powered by nature and its sustainable resources. And to explore this theme, I have here with me two lovely ladies. The first one is Dr. Rocio Diaz Chavez, joining us from London. She is Deputy Director at the Stockholm Environment Institute's Africa Center. She is also an energy and climate change program leader at the Stockholm Environment Institute. Dr. Rocio has an extensive experience in many parts of Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Thank you, Angrita. The Stockholm Environment Institute has different centers around the world. So the Africa Center is based in Kenya, and we have three programs. The one that I lead is on energy and climate change, and it is the program that is leading the bioeconomy research. We have a natural resources program and another on sustainable urbanization. But of course, we had some cross-cutting issues across the, the different programs. Personally, my background, it's in, I'm a biologist and ecologist, but I have been working with sustainability assessment for many years. And I have applied this onto my research on bioeconomy, bioenergy, and the use of biomass and other resources into this concept of bioeconomy, where I, as you mentioned, I have worked globally. But in the last three and a half years, I have focused also on, on this area in Africa, but I've been working in Africa actually for uh, more than 16 years. And I'm originally from Mexico. So thank you very much. Very interesting. Can't wait to hear your experience and also insights based on your work. And our next guest is Sylvia Kuria, joining us from Nairobi, Kenya. Sylvia is a certified organic farmer. And she is also an advocate for organic farming in Kenya and across Africa, such as in Ethiopia, Ghana, Rwanda, and Tanzania. Sylvia, can you please share a sneak peek of your activity too? How do you promote sustainable farming in Africa? Many greetings from Nairobi. As you've heard, I'm Sylvia Kuria, small-scale organic farmer. Um, I've been farming for about 12 years, and I've been doing organic farming uh, using sustainable principles for the about nine years. And um, I'm very passionate about being able to support uh, small-scale farmers, be able to learn how to convert into more sustainable practices in the way they do their farming. And uh, we normally do that uh, by doing trainings on how to uh, start and grow your own organic kitchen gardens in my community. And I'm also very passionate about um, making organic and safe food accessible to all. And we normally do that through, we have a small shop where we sell our produce, as well as supporting small-scale farmers, be able to access markets for their products. Thank you, Sylvia. I can't wait to hear more from you too. Uh, now let's go to our main discussion about circular bioeconomy. I will go first to Rocio. What is circular bioeconomy and why is it important? Thank you, Ingrid. Well, I think that we need to start with the definitions of bioeconomy in general. There are many and they have been evolving. For instance, there is the Global Bioeconomy Summit and they define bioeconomy as the production, use, and conservation of biological resources, including knowledge, science, technology, and innovation. And it is related to information, products, processes in different economic sectors. So the idea is really to move towards a more sustainable economy. 
But for instance, in East Africa, and particularly with Kenya, in SEI, we have been working with different partners like Steco and BioInnovate on bioeconomy strategy for East Africa. And here we, we have a different definition that came out from consultations in six countries in East Africa. And it was uh, decided to describe it, to define it as the sustainable production and use of biological resources and knowledge to support uh, diversified industrial sectors. So all the range of bio-based products that you may have with uh, food, feed, chemicals, pharmaceuticals, etc. And also to look for the protection of ecosystem services and mitigation of climate change. So, so it, is, it is, let's say, an economy that, that puts innovation in these bio-based products, processes, and business. But the concept of circular economy, it's also embedded within bioeconomy because you, you try to, to use the most of the resources, either as raw material or as residues or waste. So the simple definition is at least three principles, reduce, reuse, and recycle. But it has evolved now as well, and, uh, and many other definitions include more steps in between. But let's say that is the basic. So considering all these possibilities within circular economy, that is the reason that you can really link it to bioeconomy so that we can use old residues or waste to the maximum and also to find alternative products, for example, for fossil origin products. And the idea was really when bioeconomy started, particularly in, in Europe, United States, uh, some of these fossil fuel products could be replaced by this bioeconomy to reduce emissions on for climate change. So again, this is a very complete way to look at our different products. And of course, the definitions may change at a regional scale or even from one country to another. But I think all the principles are more or less the same. Thank you. That's a very interesting point that we have different concepts. First, circular economy and also bioeconomy. So my next question is when I did my background research about uh, this topic, I see that the narratives, at least what I found, are more focused on finding advanced technology to make production more efficient. So the question that pops up in my mind is how about countries in the global south or in the developing world? that may not be equipped for this? How are we going to be able to keep up or to contribute? This question is maybe first to Rocio. There is, of course, uh, the difference in, in between how it is adopted from the global north or the global south or, or developing countries. There is the possibility always, of course, using advanced technologies and processes. That has been really the case, for example, in Europe. And if you think about, for instance, how much the research in terms of use of biofuels has changed. It was probably one of the first ones in terms of bioeconomy that many of the efforts were put. So the contribution of science has, of course, been able to move into more advanced technologies and processes in general for, for bioeconomy and bioproducts. But sometimes it is not really possible sometimes to avoid the conversation about infrastructure and logistics and even environmental aspects. So, for example, you cannot remove absolutely all the residues from crops on the ground because you need to protect, to protect the soil. But there are alternatives, particularly in developing countries, where do not necessarily need so much logistics 
but you could also have other use in terms of bioeconomy. And in reality, considering what communities, local communities are already using the resources for. For example, many of these agro residues may be thought that they have not another use and can be directly used for another bioproduct. But in reality, local communities are already using it for another thing that could be fit for animals or bedding or even construction and any other uses. But of course, there are other that we could consider residues from uh, agriculture, from forestry, or even from other industrial and agro-industrial processes that are indeed not utilized. For example, sugarcane bagasse, that it is the residue from the uh, production of, of sugar and in sugarcane meals, and that in many cases it is left just to rot on the ground because it is not utilized, for example, for bioenergy even within the same meals. So that could be a possibility of using it. There are other cases of non-utilization of, of residues because certain aspects of logistics, for instance, in India, in the, in the areas where uh, wheat is produced or rice is produced, sometimes it, there is not enough time to collect the residues that could be used for other uses because the time frame to uh, start the new crop is very limited. So they would need either too many people to collect them or, or machinery and logistics and economic costs are not uh, efficient for, for that case. So in the case of uh, developing countries, I think that improved supply chains can be the answer. And this is to minimize waste, to improve the use. And there are already several practices within sustainable production and consumption that can also contribute to these views. Thank you. I'm really glad that you bring up how local communities also already practicing this circular bioeconomy. Now I'm going to move to Sylvia. I want to hear from you, your perspective based on your experience. Yeah, um, thank you very much for that. And I agree with, um, like, Rocio, you know, just talking about how um, the farmers in Kenya and in Africa are already using these uh, strategies. You know, like when you talk about the, the reuse and recycle, they're already doing it. One of the things I can just say real quick is that many farmers may not have converted into sustainable agriculture because we are very used to having a system that's very like linear. And what has happened over the years is that we've been getting what you may call like easy solutions, you know, where you're able to get your fertilizer very easily. It works very quickly and you're able to get your pesticide in a bottle and all your inputs are mainly synthetic and they seem to work very quickly. And what that has happened is that then the farmers, when they are asked to now use some strategies like composting, where they have to reuse and recycle and compost the work, then it becomes too much work. It becomes difficult. You know, like who's going to have the chance to go and, you know, like collect all that waste on the farm and then um, come back and compost it and use it back into their soil. And yet you have a synthetic fertilizer that works very quickly. But now you find that some of them are starting to realize that, you know, the harvest they were getting many years ago is much higher than what it is right now. Like what they're able to harvest on an acre is actually greatly reduced. And they're starting to ask the question, why is this so? What can I do to change? And I find that because of that, uh, like narrative that's changing, then they are more open to try out new strategies that are more sustainable for their work. So they could summarize, as I said, and the challenges, you know, very little access to information, 
huge gaps between science and practice. Climate change has brought about less water and uh, we have a lot of pest and diseases. And, you know, deforestation is really affecting our produce and we don't have good access to markets. Thank you, Sylvia. And to explore uh, more about that, based on your experience working with different farmer communities in Africa, how do you then solve this challenge? Because even in Indonesia, where their land is fertile, farming is challenging. And how about in Africa that is drier and more arid? Yeah, sure. Like you find that in Africa, of course, we have a lot of challenges. Our area is very dry and we're in a semi-arid area, which means that we don't get, we get actually depressed rainfalls. So we don't get a lot of rain. And even when the rain comes, it's normally not enough to see us through a season. And what has happened is that now we have a lot of malnutrition in the community and many of the families are not able to meet their nutritional needs. And for us, being able to feed my family and just have enough food all year round, you know, really pressed me to be able to share that knowledge with the other mothers just like me in my village. And because we're in a dry area, we use dry land strategies. Let me give an example. We use uh, like zypits. So zypits is where you dig a very big hole, like two feet cubic. And in that zypit, we're able to grow our vegetables. Originally, zypits were mainly used in like dry land, uh, sub-Saharan Africa, where they would use them to grow maize and beans uh, so that even if the rains were depressed, then they would still be able to harvest their maize and beans. But for us, we have actually using the zypits to actually grow our own indigenous uh, food and vegetables. And it's worked very well because the zypits need very little water. So even if it's not raining, you're able to water your own kitchen garden that you've grown using zypids. And that way then we are able to meet the, the nutritional needs of young children and the old people in the village. And they're able to have enough food all year round. Okay. Before I move to another question, Rocio, can you add or comment to this? Yes, I think that, uh, um, I mean, I agree, of course, with what uh, Sylvia has been uh, mentioning. But I think that also we need to, to move a little bit forward into what is really bioeconomy, because, um, of course, it has all these bases in uh, agriculture, in forestry, in fisheries. But the idea with bioeconomy is really to move a little bit uh, forward from, from what are the, the traditional concepts of these sectors, because bioeconomy is not a sector, it's a multi-sector. Multi, uh, the issues of, for example, how you can produce these organic fertilizers, for example, or biofertilizers or biopesticides that can be used in the agricultural sector. That is the important aspect, apart from other sustainable agriculture practices. So, for instance, uh, within the East Africa strategy, and again, this was done also through consultation in all the six countries in, in East Africa and also Ethiopia was included. We, we divided it in, into four different strategic areas. So we had, for example, one that was on food security and sustainable agriculture and has already been explained. Another, uh, and also forestry enters there. There was another one on uh, another thematic area on health and well-being a third one on bio-based industrial development, and a fourth one on sustainable energy. And all of them are utilizing through different 
physical, chemical, biotechnological processes from resources that are already available, from agriculture, livestock, forestry, agro and bioprocessing, municipal waste, fishery and aquaculture. And I think all of these resources are available and they're in all globally, but of course there are different different characteristics according to where you are located. So the contextuality is really important within this bioeconomy and how it is adopted according, of course, to the type of resources that you have. And just another point is that I agree with also what Sylvia said. I mean, in bioeconomy also, if you are replacing some of these fossil-based resources with renewable bio-based resources. So that that also provides a, a great potential for climate change mitigation and adaptation. And also uh, looking at some carbon neutrality that could improve the resilience of many of these communities through all these activities and uses of alternative bioproducts. And one last point is also to consider what it means also in terms of bio-trade, because this is also not just for the local use, which of course is very important, but to see how this is also moving regionally and globally. Okay, very interesting. So because the problem is multifaceted, we also need multi-sectoral approach to solve the problem. And that's why this is becoming more important. Thank you. And then the next question, I hope we'll bring this discussion into a more optimistic note. I want to see positive examples. First, I will go to Sylvia. We're going to talk about local and indigenous communities. We see that they are actually implementing circular bioeconomy, even without putting the label. Any examples that we can highlight? So um, let me just share um, like some examples from my own community uh, back home here in Kenya. In terms of the farming, we normally do a lot of composting. So uh, we make sure that we are using our farm waste and then we use the farm waste as compost and we're able to use that compost and put it back into the soil. And then something else we also do is that we we grow a lot of indigenous trees that are medicinal. And that has been you know, very good for us because then we're able to get our medicine, even just for humans and even for the animals, uh, to support the work that we're doing on the farm, giving fodder to our animals. So that means that then we are able to reduce bringing in food from uh, you know the factories then we're able to feed our animals very well and then we're also able to get some good nitrogen from the trees because um, as I mentioned you know we are in dry areas and my farm is in a semi-arid area so the trees are able to give us a lot of nitrogen uh, the trees also give us bee forage and we're also able to make our own pesticides still using the trees that we plant on our farms and then um, I just want to give um, examples of how we are able to reduce, you know, when you think about this whole process and the whole system, and we reduce food waste by, you know, using still food preservations. And these are some things that you're talking about that are not really documented. Many indigenous communities are saving their food by fermenting. When you have the meat, they normally smoke it so they can be able to preserve it. They're able to use honey in their meat so that they can be able to preserve it. And also just to give a very interesting example on how we make our own condiments for our food. And when we grow, for example, when you grow our beans or the bananas, we normally use the manure. And then after that, when we harvest our beans, we normally shell the beans when they are dry. We use the bean pods to actually make salt. So we burn the pods. And then the ash that we get, 
we sieve some water through the ash and the water that we get there, we call it in our local language, munyu. It's quite common in Africa that if anyone sees munyu, that means salt. That's African salt. And that salt is actually used to flavor food, to heal wounds. Like if you have a burn or uh, you have a cut that can be used, it's used to add into the water for animals. If they are feeling unwell, then it's able to help them. So I just find that's a very nice, simple example just to show how we are able to use the resources that we have on the farm, you know, just something as simple as beans can actually do so much for us all the way from being able to use the compost to eat the food and using the bean pods. And also something else we also do, of course, is uh, the water harvesting. So we don't waste any water on the farms. Uh, so when we have rains, we always make sure that we harvest as much water as possible and the water is actually able to sustain us in between the seasons. And if water is able to sustain us in between the seasons, it means we have food all year round. So that has been exciting that, you know, in as much as that there are many challenges, our small strategies that we're using on our farms and with other communities around us are still able to make sure that we are sustainable and that we are able to be food secure all through the year. And I just think that as we move ahead, that we need to be able to highlight these uh, practices, we need to be able to share them with our communities because we find that as old generation is now like dying off and now we have the younger people coming in and they don't even know the old strategies that were being used and are still being used in very, very small pockets all over Africa. I just wish that we can be able to look for ways to share this information for as many people as possible to access it and also be proud of it and be happy that we actually have some strategies that we've been using just because they're not documented. And just because those strategies don't come in a hardcover book or in a bottle doesn't mean that they are not effective and they should be recognized and they should be used. Thank you, Sylvia. It's a perfect example, which reminds me also in Indonesia, we use coconut tree and palm tree. We use every single part of the tree. We eat the fruit, we use the leaves and trunks for the house, we use the water for sugar, and nothing goes to waste. I also want to hear from Rocio. Can you give us example of a hybrid, perhaps, where traditional and modern way of life complement each other? Thank you. Just there are several examples, particularly with bioenergy. I think that there is probably one of the basic, you can say, I mean, as, as uh, Sylvia also mentioned, I mean, and, and you also provided examples uh, using everything from, from certain species of trees or from certain crops, having the possibility of using all the residues that you have and then using it in a different way. So the, the example that you probably saw, it's uh, it's from a project we have, it's a program called IMARA. So this is the integrated management of resources in arid and semi-arid areas. So this program involves um, uh, different, actually different supply chains and different activities within the communities. And there was some help also providing uh, biogas or biodigesters to the local community so that they could use the, the residues, the waste from animals with water to produce biogas and using it in cooking stoves. So that it will reduce the use of fuel wood and also avoid some of the impacts uh, on health from burning biomass indoors. But there are others that we have seen also 
with alternative uses. Uh, for example, we had a presentation also during the first bioeconomy conference in East Africa that we held last year in, in November. We saw some examples, for instance, in Lake Victoria, where some companies are using the residues from fish. So the fish skin is, is used as a leather. So they are transforming it in, into other products. And they are actually getting into, into an international market for that. We've had also another study where we have seen the, the residues of the processing of, of nuts, for example, and all the, the waste is used for uh, bioenergy as well, or the sugarcane bagasse that it is transformed into briquettes that are being used by the tea sector, the tea industry in Kenya. But we know that that is happening in, in other countries in, in the region as well. So it is very interesting to see how a smaller investment in terms of technologies or logistics, there is the possibility of making these changes. There is a company that we also published on a short project that we had with them in Kenya. They use croton, which is a, a natural a tree that it is, a, um, I mean, you don't necessarily need to have it as a plantation. It can also found in the wild, but many farmers have these trees in their houses just to provide some shade and they can give these croton seeds to animals as feed. But this company has changed the use of it and now they utilize these uh, seeds to produce biopesticides, biofuel, and also as bioenergy. So they're using different bioproducts through very simple processes, just as extracting the oil. So you can see how this is changing in Africa. And I think there are other cases also with um, sustainable practices for coffee, tea, cotton, even dairy, where you can really see these changes with different products. And one last I would like to, to mention is the use of starch from cassava to produce bioplastics. And it is a very simple method. There's a, a company that was kind of a spin-off from a university in Uganda, and they are producing this biomaterial. And that is really interesting because it's just utilizing starch. So there are plenty of these examples of, as you said, in between some of the traditional uses, but also having a little bit more into the industrial bio-based uh, sector. And we will have a second bioeconomy conference this year, by the end of the year. I think this would be interesting uh, second conference to see what is happening in East Africa. Of course, we know what is going on around other areas as uh, Europe, Latin America. It's also very advanced with bioeconomy, even, even Asia. It is well known what is happening there, and there is less knowledge on what is going on in sub-Saharan Africa. So on this occasion, we will have a little bit more of intervention from West and Southern Africa. And I think we will see more examples of how this is moving also in, in the continent. Okay, great examples. This makes us uh, feel more hopeful and we look forward to the conference and the information that we can get from there. And just to close our podcast, one last question. This is just a short question for you, Rocio. If we want to start doing circular bioeconomy from the smallest units, from individual level, do you have any tips? Maybe just three short points. How can we start? Reduce, reuse, recycle. 
There is a reason why that's always the classic. <laughs> that's the minimum I think we all can do. Sure. Thank you again, Sylvia and Rocio, for being in the podcast. I hope this could be the start for a bigger things or bigger cooperation to come. And also thank you for all the listeners for tuning in. See you on the next episodes and stay safe, everyone. Bye-bye.